Here at the Missouri Department of Economic Development, we want to hear from you, our listeners. We want to know what topics you're interested in hearing more about. So if you have questions or comments, email them to ded.communications at ded.mo.gov. Let us know what topics you're interested in and the questions associated with those topics. You can also comment directly on this episode on SoundCloud and wherever else podcasts are found. Hello and welcome to Inside Eco Devo, an economic development podcast helping Missourians prosper. On this episode, we're talking about the Neighborhood Assistance Program and the Youth Opportunities Program, both of which are overseen by today's guest, Community Finance Supervisor Daniel Epler. Daniel, welcome. Thanks for sitting down with us. Absolutely, Eric. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, no problem. So we got kind of a stacked group of things to talk about. We're talking about two programs. But before we get into that, if you could just give us a little bit of background on yourself. How did you come to be the Community Finance Supervisor under BCS? Yeah, absolutely. I think it kind of starts out with me in college. In college, I was the treasurer and I was on the finance committee for the Student Government Association. And I really enjoyed that. Basically, what we did is we had a pot of money and we allocated it out to different student groups for them to come to us and pitch a project or an event they wanted to do. And we would allocate that money out. And I really enjoyed it. And when I was out of college looking around for a job, I read the description for working on the community finance team here at DED. It actually sounded very similar, but it was dealing with nonprofit organizations. And I was really attracted to that. So I worked on the community finance team just as a team member for two and a half years. About that time, uh, my boss decided to move on in her career, move on to bigger and better things. And she recommended me to take over her position. And I did. And here I am. Yeah, so straight out of college and into the career, moving your way up the ladder, that's that's kind of feel good, right? Oh, yeah, it, it definitely does. And I've, I've found, not just with me, but with people around me, that DED has been a great place for people to develop their careers and move forward. It's been a great place for learning and development, I think, for employees. Yeah, absolutely. So let's kind of dive into it. Like I said, up top, we're talking about two different programs, and I would imagine that there's some overlap in them, but let's kind of take them one at a time to start. And let's just kind of begin with... Neighborhood Assistance Program, better known as NAP. So tell us, what is NAP? Yeah, absolutely. It is the biggest program that my team works with. It's a tax credit for contribution program. And basically what that means is no actual funds transfer from the state to an organization. It is a means to help with fundraising. It awards an organization either 50 or 70% tax credits, depending on where they're located. And then they're able to go to their donors and try to get them to make a donation. And that donor is going to receive, say, a 50% tax credit. So if they normally donate $1,000 a year, they can donate $2,000 a year. And it's the same money out of pocket for them because they get a tax credit for that other $1,000. So it's good for the donor, but it's great for the organization because they get double the financing. And it's not just good for raising the donation amounts for normal donors. It's a great way for them to connect with new donors because, of course, there are donors out there that are really just looking for a tax credit, right? So it's a great way to get them in the door and then get them on board with their particular services and their mission. And it was created, this particular program, to help improve endangered communities through that public-to-private partnership to help what you might say the most at-risk citizens of our state in order to help their economic standing. An endangered community, what's that defined as? 
Sure, it's a little bit, it's a very, this is a very diverse program and it serves a lot of different kinds of things, but we ask about the service area in the application. It's really just looking at different factors such as what are the poverty rates in that community, what are the crime rates, what is the high school graduation rates, things like that. And, and the program tries to target areas of the state that need an economic boost to increase the prosperity for Missourians. And in fact, those 70% credits, I said that we separate 50 and 70 by um, location. Those 70% credits are directed towards rural areas of the state, areas, cities that have a population of 15,000 or less. So those particular credits are really targeting communities in our more rural areas. Okay. And then that uh, population limit you just mentioned there, obviously part of the eligibility requirements. What other kind of requirements uh, for eligibility are there? Nonprofit organizations are the most common organizations we work with. They can be incorporated under Chapter 355, but most are 501c3 organizations. That's um, tax exempt under 501c3. Uh, they don't have to be that, but they have to at least be eligible to be a 501c3. We can work with businesses, but the project that the business works with has to fall outside of the business's normal scope of business and identify need in the community they're working in. We were talking about eligibility and those tax credits that get used. Is there certain eligibility that falls within the use of those tax credits? Sure. So first of all, there's the eligibility of the donors. So for NAP, it's open to businesses or individuals with business income. So it is a little bit limited on who's actually able to make those donations, but that tends to mean that NAP is good for bringing in very large donations from businesses that are looking to get a tax credit. And then for the use of the funds that they receive through this program, the projects are broken up into service delivery projects and capital campaign projects. So service delivery are projects that are servicing targeted clients in a specific time frame with measurable and trackable outcomes. So they're performing services, essentially. Capital campaign, of course, that's dealing with buildings that includes acquisition, construction, or renovation of a facility that's going to house eligible services. Now, as far as the eligible project categories, which is relevant to both service and capital, we have crime prevention, which is like services to ex-offenders, services to aid victims of crime, education, which are literacy programs, high school equivalency programs, things like that. Job training, specific vocational skills, usually to low-income participants. We have a category called physical revitalization, which is for downtown and commercial revitalization, improving the facades of buildings in a community. And then we've got a little bit of a catch-all category, and that is community services. And a lot of things can go under community services, things like counseling, health or mental health services, child daycare services, emergency shelters for people suffering from abuse or assault. As you can see, it's a very diverse program and a lot of different things can go into it. And that's when I think our application review team here at DED really comes in because they are able to review a lot of very different kinds of applications and make those judgments about which ones we're going to put taxpayer dollars towards. Do you guys see any commonalities in how this is used from community to community? Would that speak to kind of the more greater need that Missouri sees? You know, there's not a ton of specific commonalities because it's such a diverse program and because we deal with so many different kinds of services. I mean, certainly there are things that come up quite a bit. There's always going to be homeless shelters, food banks, organizations that are offering free or very much reduced rate counseling or therapy services, things like this. Of course, those services dealing with ex-offenders to try to reduce that in the state. So there are certain things that come up from time to time, but like I said, very diverse program, and we are happy to see that 
there are so many nonprofits in the state. They're doing so many different kinds of work, serving different kinds of people. On average, how many nonprofits would you say, or organizations I'll say, because it can extend outside of nonprofits. On average, how many do you see from a given, I was going to say a calendar year, but I don't know if that's exactly how you guys break it down. But when a cycle is open, how, sure. how many different organizations are taking use of these tax credits? I would say for approving, probably about 60 per year, and then probably about another 30 more that apply, but at least in that given year, we're not able to move forward to approval. So we're probably reviewing around 90 applications a year for this program. And then uh, just because I was talking about application cycles and when things open, and can you just talk a little bit about that? How, how does that part of it work? So we offer two application rounds per year, and that's to give, since we're dealing with a lot of money, that's to give people more time, an extra chance to come in and apply for those. We have an application through an online application portal called Submittable. That's actually a little bit new. We used to be a little bit more paper-based, but like the rest of the world, we're moving a little bit more digital. We have a variety of questions in the topics of project description, community need, identifying is this project actually needed in this community, client description, who are you actually serving, capacity, does your organization actually have the capacity to do this? And after the application round ends, our team reviews and scores all of the applications, every single one. We rank them from highest to lowest in terms of score and award as many eligible projects as we can with the funding available, of course, with approval of our directors. And then aside from applying for the tax credits, is there anything else that these organizations need to do, like follow-ups, additional uh, documentation, things of that nature? Something that I'm really happy that we do is right before every application round or like right at the beginning, we do application workshops. They used to be in person. Uh, we actually moved those to virtual, so they're very accessible now. And those aren't pre-recorded that we put out the same thing. We do that live and people are able to join live and we do that so that we can address specific questions people have. So that's our chance to teach people how to turn in the best application possible. And I always say if people are looking for advice on how to turn a good application, the best thing I always say is answer every question because that's probably the worst thing people do is just not answer a question asked. So as long as it's a complete application, that's probably a really good start. But yeah, that application workshop, while not required, is a really good resource. And our team is actually pretty accessible. I think a lot of people have an idea about government associations that they're very difficult to get a hold of. You'll get transferred a lot. You'll get put on hold a lot. And we're actually very accessible. And we reply to every email. We take every phone call. And we really do our best to help out the people that want to apply for these. Because we know the people applying for these are, of course, doing so much to help out the people that they're serving. They're sacrificing so much. So we do as much as we can for them. You know, I don't want to wrap the book there on NAP. I'm sure, sure. We'll, we'll jump back into it, but uh, kind of keep us going here. I want to switch gears just a little bit and talk about the Youth Opportunities Program. Tell me about this program, also known as YOP. It's very similar, a little bit smaller in terms of dollar value. I don't think I mentioned, but NAP, we have $16 million every year to allocate for YOP. It's $6 million. But it's very similar in many ways as a tax credit for contribution program. Difference is there's no 70% credits. We're just dealing with 50% credits. But one thing that really helps with the fundraising of these, even without those 70%, is any donor with Missouri state tax liability is eligible to receive a credit, does not just have to be businesses. And the other big difference is that all clients must be youth age 21 and younger. So uh, while NAP, you can serve any kind of Missourian in the state, for YOP, we're specifically looking at youth. 
Okay. And the intended purpose for the YOP program, what kind of assistance is being used for these tax credits? The stated purpose by our legislator when they created this, it's to broaden and strengthen opportunities for positive development and participation in community life for youth and discourage them from engaging in criminal and violent behavior. So essentially, this program is intended to help local organizations increase the quality of life for at-risk youth, or as some people prefer, opportunity youth. What kind of programs are out there that are used to help aid in that? Sure. Yeah, we have a lot of different project categories, and these are set by our statute. So um, the different project categories people can apply under are adopt a school, degree completion, internship and apprenticeship, youth club or association, mentor and role model, substance abuse prevention, youth activity center, conflict resolution, employment and counseling. So that's a big list. But as far as some more specific things that we see a lot in this program, things like services for foster youth, child abuse and neglect prevention, academic programs to help high school graduation rates. It's also a varied and diverse program like NAP. We serve a lot of different things, but I would say the things that we see the most are academic programs as well as job training programs. Now, job training programs for YOP might be a little bit different for NAP. It's not so there's going to be like less trade school sort of things, but more so just preparing youth that are, say, in high school for the job market that they're going to be coming up to very soon. And you might have already answered this about YOP, but is there specific eligibility for this program? Does it differ from NAP in its eligibility? Not too much. We're also dealing very much with nonprofit organizations, 501c3 nonprofits, Businesses are also eligible, but it has to be, again, outside of the normal scope of business and not affect their bottom line. Schools are eligible. We don't see that very often because it also has to be some kind of extracurricular after hours activity. We can't fund normal school operations, normal textbook costs, normal teacher salaries, things like that. But they are eligible if it's some kind of after hours extracurricular thing. But definitely nonprofit organizations, 501c3s are what we're dealing with the most. When you guys kind of go through both of these programs, NAP and YOP, and you're looking at all the applications that come in, what they're going to be using them for and all that, is there a sense of the kind of importance that these tax credits have on these communities to get programs through, to give aid to those that they are intending to give it to? Do you guys kind of see the larger scope, I guess, of the importance of these programs as you work on them? Yeah, so we find them to be very important. Um, the organization, just anecdotally, the organization partners we deal with tend to be very appreciative of our efforts, which makes this very rewarding work. But yeah, these programs, they help with fundraising temporarily within that project period. But like I sort of mentioned at the beginning, it does serve to expand the organization's donor base in the long term. Because if a donor is just looking for a tax credit, that might be the only reason they donate the first time. But then they'll get emotionally invested in what the nonprofit is doing and then stick around even afterwards. So I do think it makes a big impact to improving donor bases. But then also... I mean, I find this to be very rewarding work because these organizations are very needed in their communities. And you really learn that the more you read these applications, the more that we can do to help these organizations keep their doors open and keep them within our state and not, say, moving on to other states that might have other opportunities. The more we can do that, the better. So I do find this to be very helpful to these organizations. They certainly tell us that quite a bit. And yeah, it definitely makes it a very rewarding program to run. I definitely think so. Yeah. And we haven't really talked about the team that you, that you lead that kind of uh, assists on that. I mean, when they're kind of going through these applications and, and seeing those stories and seeing the, the impact of their work, that's got to be rewarding, like you just said, but it's got to 
give you that little bit of oomph to kind of get back at it and just keep going and, and want to do more. Definitely. It's a job where we do push a lot of paper, push a lot of pencils, but it's those application reviews where we really learn about these organizations that really makes you realize the impact that what we're doing what they're doing, but then what we can do to support them. We do do site visits. Sometimes we go out and visit them. I wish we had the time to do that a little bit more, but that's always a great boost as well. I mean, I've lived in Missouri since I was eight years old. And since I've taken this job, I have learned so much about the state that I did not know before. So I found that to be a really great aspect. And pretty much all my team members say that their favorite part of the job is reviewing those applications and learning about what these organizations are doing. Any success stories come out of that that spring to mind that you and the the team have helped with? Yeah, absolutely. Now, of course, I, I can only speak to this from my perspective as a program administrator. Of course, the nonprofit directors could speak to it much better. But for the Neighborhood Assistance Program, we had a 2020 project from an organization called Mission St. Louis. They serve low-income men who have been or are involved in the criminal justice system and provide them with a program called Beyond Jobs, which is a job and leadership training. So basically, they provide an intensive boot camp phase that includes internships, health and wellness classes, counseling and financial empowerment, and then they follow up with case management and more advanced job training and such. And then by the end of their project with us, they had 128 full graduates who had secured employment. And that's men who have been involved in the criminal justice system, then moving on to more economic prosperity with their own job. I think that's a really big deal. For the Youth Opportunities Program, we had one project. Uh, it was for our 2021 cycle, and it was the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Kansas City, which we deal with Boys and Girls Clubs quite a bit. They come to us pretty regularly, and it was with their after-school and summer program. So they offer a variety of services that include educational supports, college and career readiness programming, financial literacy and health courses, and positive relationship programs. So by the end of their one-year project, um, and I've got the numbers right here, 626 of their youth members remained in school and advanced to the next grade level, 528 maintained or increased reading and math assessment scores, and 550 demonstrated increased knowledge about the dangers of engaging in drug or alcohol use and violent behavior. So those are just some success stories of folks that are dealing with Real people in the state who don't necessarily have a lot of the easy opportunities that some of the rest of us have and are really helping them boost them back up towards a path of more economic prosperity, which is, of course, what our department is really going for ultimately. And this next question, I know this might be throwing you through a loop, so if we don't have an answer for it, it's fine. But those stats that you're reading out, is there any indication on percentage of those stats that can be directly tied back to the work of NAP and YOP? Hmm, can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, so I guess what I'm what I'm trying to say here is because of the tax credits and the increased donor amounts that can happen through there, was there an X dollar amount that can be tied back to the tax credits they got through the program to say, well, we could help, you know, X percentage of more uh, children or, or people in our community because we had these tax credits. Sure. I gotcha. I think what you're, what you're looking at is like a cost per participant. Yeah. Our program doesn't really look at that too much. And, um, we don't tie, like, we're only going to spend this much money, like per youth that you serve or something like that. And we don't do that because some programs are just a lot cheaper per youth, like say a lot of food bank projects or such. And then some projects are going to be a lot more investment, things like internships and things like that. And we don't try to like always opt for cheaper projects. We just go towards what we think are the best projects. 
So we don't really measure cost per participant. Of course, you could if you simply divided what our investment was by the number served. We do have that data. But I will point to we do a annual report, a YOP annual report every year that goes over to the legislature. And there we document like how many youth have been served in a lot of different outcome categories. That's public record. So that's a kind of a, a resource people could see if they want to see like the number of youth being impacted in any certain category. And those reports also always include two real success stories that we've had over that past year with an organization, sort of a slightly longer version of what I sort of talked about with those other two organizations. Gotcha. Okay. Understand. So I know we talked a, a lot, or not a lot, but a little bit about kind of the community impact and the impact of these tax credits. From your perspective, what do you see as the ultimate impact of programs like this? Well, I think one thing, and we have talked a lot about the perspective of the nonprofits, but also to look at the perspective of the donor, it helps those donors to keep their tax dollars in their communities and benefiting their neighbors. So if those tax dollars are going to be leaving their pockets anyway, which of course we work for the state, so that's a good thing. We're not against that. But they can direct those dollars towards a specific work that they believe in and towards the actual people in their community that they live around. So I think it's a big impact for those donors. But, you know, like I mentioned before, it helps keep these nonprofits doors open and they provide valuable services to the things that they need most. And that's a big reason that I love coming to work here, because I know we're making a difference towards that goal, because we definitely need these organizations in our state. That's certainly something that I've learned over the past few years. Yeah. So when we talk about like nonprofit and some aspect of that is volunteerism and, and things of that nature, how do you see all of those, the programs like that, NAP, YAP, how does all of that tie back to economic development, which is what our department specializes in? That's right, we do. Um, so some projects are, are very much in an obvious way. Uh, we have job training projects. We have projects that help people start and maintain small businesses, of course, for the NAP program. We have projects that help people get an education. So what I think is these programs help the workforce. They help more people to have a better quality of life and a more stable and successful life, which will mean more quality employees in our state to drive the economy. So while we definitely DED has a lot of programs that go towards serving businesses, which is very valuable, especially small businesses, I think these programs are directing the workforce and building up our workforce to be happier and more healthy and having a more stable life to therefore drive our economy more. What is happening at the present moment with NAPYOP? Do you guys have a cycle open? Are you guys doing uh, application review? Where are you guys at right now? Yeah, it's actually a really good time. For YOP, we have one cycle per year, and that goes on at the very beginning of the year. So that's actually going on right now. Youth Opportunities Program applications are due by February 8th at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. Um, and that can be accessed on the DED website through Submittable. So it's an online application. And then for the Neighborhood Assistance Program, we do a spring cycle and a fall cycle. So the spring cycle is going to be opening up probably in March. We don't have an exact date yet. And those projects are all going to be have a project start date of July 1st. And then in the fall, we'll have our round two. And those projects will begin January 1st of 2024. A question that's just kind of springing into my mind. A couple of episodes back, we were speaking with Brendan Jensen, who heads up CDBG. He was talking about the you know variety of programs that they service and and how they can add new programs and new criteria in which their tax credits and funding can be used for. How you know they can add stuff later on based on HUD and and whatnot. For NAP and YOP, how flexible are those programs that? 
the tax credits can be used for? Is it kind of set in stone? Here's ABC that YOP can be used for. Can you guys add new things, take things away as, as the need is seen? So as far as like, um, project eligibility or the types of projects that we find. Exactly. Right. Sure. Yeah. So for both NAP and YOP, of course, we have to abide by statute, which give us certain project categories, the ones that I told you on the podcast today. And then we also have rules as well that we have to follow. But we certainly do have some flexibility. And that's like the NAP program has community services. A lot of different kinds of things can go towards that. We do have flexibility with prioritization. We will often take a look at data throughout the state, see are there any aspects that are worsening in the state or are not improving and direct those and apply some priority points towards projects that are impacting that. Like a couple of years ago for YOP, we prioritized services for foster youth because we saw there were some statistics that were not improving in our state towards that. So that's just kind of one example. So we do have some flexibility with prioritization. But as far as eligibility, it's pretty open. Like I said, we have a lot of different kinds of things we can we can fund. So I think it's in a good place when it comes to that. Okay, I know we we've talked about a lot so far in the short time that we've been uh, speaking. And I kind of feel like we we kind of ran through some things real quick there. So I want to just open the floor to you on either NAP or YOP, anything that people should know or that you want them to know that we didn't cover. Well, we certainly covered a whole lot of stuff. I'll say that our websites have a lot of resources. We don't just have the guidelines for the programs, but we have frequently asked questions document. We should have an app, our application workshop video up on the YOP website soon. And then the NAP after that application workshop. So while we do those workshops live, the videos do go up. So we try to help people as much as we can towards building up the best applications that we can. Yeah, other than that, Nothing else comes to mind. All right. Uh, So to wrap us up here, you know, the department's motto is helping Missourians prosper. So the work that you do, the work that your team does through NAP and YOP, how does that push that motto forward? So these programs improve the chances of prosperity for people that need an extra step up, I think. People who can't afford college still need job training. Kids with perhaps difficult home lives might need more educational support. Not everyone in need of counseling or therapy can afford that, but still may need it in order to have a successful life. So I believe that's how these programs drive prosperity. And ultimately, it is the organizations we work with that are doing this. And I always want to give full credit to them for doing the real hard work. But if we can just support them and help them towards making those things happen for those people, then those people who get that extra step up from these organizations can then drive our economy and not only that can that lead to more prosperity for them but ultimately more prosperity for everyone i think that's a great way to cap it off daniel thank you so much for sitting down and speaking with me i know it's a very busy time always in the department so thank you very much absolutely thanks very much for having me i really enjoyed it thank you for listening to this episode of inside eco devo we have great episodes coming your way every two weeks so be sure to subscribe Also, we want to hear from you, our listeners. Tell us what economic development topics you want to hear more about. This helps us fulfill our motto of helping Missourians prosper by bringing content to our listeners that they want to hear. Leave a comment on an episode or send an email to ded.communications at ded.mo.gov and stay tuned for more Inside EcoDevo.